This podcast is sponsored in part by an anonymous donor of Make-A-Wish San Diego. As a nonprofit news organization, Voice of San Diego depends on our members, foundations, and sponsors like Make-A-Wish. We are very grateful for all of our supporters and will recognize their support during our shows. San Diego's Walk for Wishes is a family-friendly community event coming up on April 28th at the Embarcadero Marina Park South. Form a team with your friends, family, and coworkers, and join Make-A-Wish San Diego on Walk Day. All participants are encouraged to raise money to help grant wishes of kids with critical illnesses in our community. Visit www.sandiego.wish.org slash walk to learn more. Proceeds benefit Make-A-Wish. And if you like Voice of San Diego's work and want to become a sponsor, contact us at development at voiceofsandiego.org. The military is San Diego's economic backbone. Every year, the San Diego Military Advisory Council rounds up the impact of defense spending in San Diego. This year, the group estimated that in total, the military makes up about $50 billion, or 22% of the local economy. $9.4 billion of that flowed to defense contractors in San Diego. For comparison, the city of San Diego is one of the largest employers in San Diego. Its total budget, including all of the special funds and water services and capital projects, is at $3.6 billion this year. Almost three times that is doled out in Defense Department contracts every year. And despite all of the tensions between California and the Trump administration, all signs point to San Diego remaining an important region to the military. Spending here is expected to rise significantly. David Inman hopes to get more of it. Welcome to I Made It in San Diego, Voice of San Diego's podcast about the stories behind the region's businesses, the big and the small, and the people who made them what they are. I'm Scott Lewis, and in this week's show, a story about how David built a fast-growing business that provides program management and technology services to the Defense Department and other clients like SDG&E. Almost exactly 10 years ago, David and his business partner opened Red Horse Corporation. They had no capital besides a $50,000 loan from the Small Business Administration. In 2016, Red Horse had revenue of $57 million and was among the 1,000 fastest-growing companies in the country as ranked by Inc. 5000. David is from Oklahoma. He's a descendant of Choctaw Indians. It's a minority status that helped him get his foot in the door on government contracts. He didn't set out to become a businessman. David originally wanted to be a pilot in the Marines. I I graduated from high school went to South Padre Island, Texas for a week, mm-hmm. left from there to go to Marine Corps boot camp, oh, come wow. here to San Diego, and then spent three months here in San Diego, graduated from San Diego from boot camp on a Friday, and as a, in the, into the reserves, enlisted reserve, and went back to Oklahoma and started college on Monday. You can imagine that was a bit of an interesting transition no, to, go, I- to go from a Marine Corps drill instructor to a college professor. He had an aviation contract, but the Marines in the mid-80s had too many pilots. So all I had to do was graduate from college, and I was get my commission. Mm-hmm. So I went to Tinker Air Force Base and, and got the physical, and it came back and, and went to what they call NAMI, the Naval Aerospace Medical Institute in Pensacola, Florida. And they came back and said, hey, you got scoliosis. You can't fly a you know a high-performance aircraft in a 
you know, that has um, ejection seat aircraft. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, what am I going to do now? And that's when I made the, at a good, uh, who's now a good friend. He was the Marine major at the ROTC unit there. Mm-hmm. Talked to him and he gave me some really good advice. He said, look, he said, take your, he said, he said, my advice would be take your commission, right? You got a four year commitment. It's a good job to start. Pays pretty good. You need to do some really fun stuff. If you don't like it, it's only four years. To do what again? To get my take my commission and go on active duty. Is yeah. it's just a ground is a is not as a pilot, but yeah. to go do something else. And he was an artillery guy, so he pitched artillery. And ultimately that's what I did. I took my commission, went to TBS, the basic school in Quantico, Virginia, and then uh, I selected artillery and I became an artillery officer. So tell me about that experience when they tell you you can't fly. What does that feel like? Well, you know, I was sitting there as a senior in college with a 265 GPA and a math degree. I'm like, <laughs> okay, my options just got very limited. So uh, I hit the, you know, the time frame where it was very, very peaceful. So 86 to 90. What's it like being a Marine in Camp Pendleton? In general, it's a great place to be. Um, you know, live to live in North County, live in San Diego in general is a great place to be. So uh, as a... Uh, as a young single lieutenant in 1986, yeah. uh, Top Gun had just come out, uh, hide the Reagan buildup. I mean, yeah. we were, so at the time, um, we had a new, new howitzer, we had new weapons, a new M16, a new pistol, new machine guns, all this stuff had just come into the inventory. The F-18 was new at the mm-hmm. time, new trucks, the Humvee, we put the Humvee in service. So when I got there, we still, we're still using Jeeps. And uh, the new, the Humvees were literally just coming into the Marine Corps at the time, uh, so we had all sorts of new gear, and there was lots of training and plenty of money to, to train, and and so it was a really good time to be on active duty, a really good time to be a Marine. David got out. Well, importantly, he went into the reserves. He dabbled in business ventures, moved to Phoenix, moved back. He was in Europe on September 11, 2001. The Marines would come calling again. It was August of 2005 when I went back on active duty. Mm-hmm. So that was the point. That was the point where, so the Marine Corps, as a general rule, um, doesn't stay in a, you know, in, in country like that for the time, the way we did this time. We go, we're the expeditionary force, mm-hmm. but if there's any sort of occupation or long-term commitment, that's what the Army does. Mm-hmm. So we would go, kick the door in, basically. And then the army would take over, and we we go back because we're just not that big. We don't have the logistics and and the sustainability that the army does. That's the idea, anyway. That's the idea. Um, so we went in two thousand three, and seven you know six seven months whatever the Marine Corps basically pulled back and came back to Camp Pendleton, and then two thousand four things began to heat up a little bit mm-hmm. and. Um, and then in 2005, we started going back. I think it, maybe it was, 2000, it was 2004 we went back the first time. And, and it was clear at that point that this is going to be a, this was not a in and out operation. And the commandant of the Marine Corps essentially put out the word, particularly to the reserves, if you haven't stepped up, you haven't been mobilized, you either need to, you, you know, you need to play full on or you need to get out. And so that was when I, recognize what was going on and I wanted to go anyway. So, um, I actually, uh, found a, found some work and found a billet and took, took orders in August of 2000, 
2005. What did you do there? So I was, um, uh, I was a transition team advisor. So we had, there were three kind of three major functions going on at the time. Um, there was a kinetic fight. So there's the, the active engagement, uh, you know, uh, with, with Al Qaeda in Iraq and uh, mm-hmm. the insurgent forces. And there was the efforts to rebuild the government and rebuild the military. And so I worked in the organization that was called MENSTICI, the Multinational Security Transition Command Iraq. And that was the organization that David Petraeus stood up in uh, 2005, 2004-2005. And their mission was to rebuild the Iraqi army and the Iraqi police force. And so I ultimately went over and was working in that organization on the military side, the, the military transition organization. And I ran a place called Best Meyer Range. So Best Meyer Range is about 75 square miles uh, of training range due east of Baghdad. So it's kind of a mini version of 29 Palms. Mm-hmm. And so I was the I was the officer in charge of Best Meyer Range for about 10 months. So in the spring of 2007, the U.S. forces were surging into Iraq. And in fact, Besmai was the bed down site for one of those surge brigades. There were five brigades, five additional brigades that went into Iraq in early 2007. Mm-hmm. The first brigade of the first ID was a heavy brigade that came into uh, to Besmaya, and they uh, there was an old uh, Iraqi Army Armor Brigade headquarters about two miles south of where my my main camp was, Heart Service Roads, and so. An Air Force unit came in, their expeditionary engineering unit called Red Horse, mm-hmm. which is part of the genesis for the name of my company, uh, came in and, and built the camp for that Army uh, Brigade. And they came in around March time frame. Or they, no, they came around January time frame to start building the camp. That's like a so, group of engineers for the Air Force, kind of? It's the Air Force's version of CBs. Oh, CBs it's their yeah. expeditionary engineering folks. Mm-hmm. When David got back from Iraq, that name, Red Horse, stuck with him, and he had the bug to try his hand once again at business. When we come back, how David turned his military experience into a lucrative career. Voice of San Diego podcasts are also sponsored in part by a proud supporter of Monarch School. Monarch School educates students impacted by homelessness, helping them develop hope for a future with the necessary skills and experience for personal success. Monarch is holding its annual fundraiser, Building Bright Futures, on April 26th. Join event chairs Tracy Hoffman and recent Hall of Fame inductee Trevor Hoffman at the event. Find out more at monarchschools.org slash events. And if you like Voice of San Diego's work and want to become a sponsor, contact us at development at voiceofsandiego.org. Hey, welcome back to I Made It in San Diego. I'm Scott Lewis. David knew he wanted to start a business, but he was hesitant to take the first step. He talked to friends and mentors who gave him the confidence to take the leap. I'd had the bug for a while. And so before 
before I left, I met a guy named Bill Vandeway, who became who's now one of my best friends here in town. Uh, Bill, as a name you may remember, ran for Congress in 2002 against mm-hmm. Susan Snow. Uh, knows lots of people, um, and he had introduced me to Gene Ray, who was the founder of a little company called Titan Corporation, which you may have heard of. Mm-hmm. And so I'd met Gene before I left. Uh, when I came back, uh, I sat down with, with Gene. He wanted to hear about my experiences in Iraq. There was a, I used a bunch of these guys that we call Titan interpreters. So Titan had a, one of the big interpreter support contracts. So many of the, literally probably thousands of, of third country nationals, locals, local Iraqis working for Titan Corporation to be interpreters. And I had at one point about 12 of them working for me at Best Maya. So I sat down with Gene to explain, you know, give him my thoughts on what, what I'd just seen and where we were headed. And I also mentioned that I might be interested in starting my own business. And, uh, and he is, he, uh, he was leaning back in his chair. And when I said that, he leaned forward and he said, David, I think it's a good idea. I think you should do that. And so I thought, hmm, if Gene Ray is telling me that, this is probably something I should think about seriously. What's your so, idea at this point? Uh, professional services firm, government contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, what Warren Buffett says, do what you know. Yeah. So again, what do I know? I've been doing, I've been selling to the government, state and local or federal, most of my professional career. And I understand the military and I understand that world. So I should do the things that I understand. David paired up with Mark Walsh in 2007. So we met in May and things kind of percolated over the summer. And then we got together. Um, uh, it was actually at a wine tasting event at Bill's house. Mm-hmm. And we started chatting about this and, and decided that we would move forward. And we moved forward in a fairly, de- a fairly deliberate way. We literally spent a number of months talking about what kind of business we wanted. Uh, individual personal styles and strengths and weaknesses, things like that. And we actually, uh, somebody gave us like a list of questions and we filled them out and then swapped them so I could see his answers and mine. Hmm. Uh, he see mine. And we sat down and talked about, uh, you know, okay, what are you good at? What do you like to do? Et cetera. And, and what we found, and I was very candid with him. I said, you need to understand that, that I'm not detail oriented. I'm a big picture guy. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good at the, I'm, um, I, one of my jokes is that I'm like Oscar Schindler. If you mm-hmm. remember the movie, he had a line. He said, I'm good at the ideas. I'm not good at the work. Um, so I'm, I'm the idea guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Mark is very good at the details, the operational details, and that's what he likes to do. And so it worked out to be a very good balance between us on that, on that front. So uh, started in April of 2008. We had our first, our first contract was about a $9,000 conference support contract with EPA in mm-hmm. Chicago, Illinois. Just to host a conference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A friend of Mark's named Bill Miner uh-huh. was our employee number three. Uh, Bill lived in Chicago and had, he was uh, retired from the EPA and, uh, or not, not retired, but for many years at the EPA in that region, knew lots of folks and as under $10,000, they could give us a direct sole source award for that. And he ran the conference because he knew the people and what they were doing. He'd been to many of them and run some of them before. And so that was our first contract. Now the first, so, so 2009, um, 
you know, our revenues in 2009 were about $800,000. Mm-hmm. You know, we ramped up and uh, I guess, I guess when we realized that it might actually succeed, it was probably somewhere in late 2009, we were able to take our first paycheck. We started paying ourselves. We, our initial salaries, I think, were $75,000 a year. So let's talk about 2009 for a sec. So there's a new president. And I remember around that period, around the defense industry, there was a lot of concern that it was going to be a bloodbath, that the the contracts would be completely pulled back. There would be all kinds of uh, cuts. Did that actually happen? What was was it like at that time? So, well, let's back up a little bit further. If you remember August of 2008, um, the financial crises, and and we were looking at each other thinking- Yeah, this is an interesting time to start a business. (laughs) Like- this might not have been the best decision. <laughs> um, but we decided that our story would be that, uh, you know, we planned it that way, that we are counterintuitive and countercyclical, and we wanted to start a business now so that we could work through the trough and, and come out the other side. So that's our, that's our story and we're sticking to it. Um, so, so what happened was I wasn't, I can see it in retrospect. I wasn't entirely sure I could have articulated, articulated it at the time. Um, but when Obama came into office, the next, certainly the next six years were the era of small business because he used his power uh, as the, of the executive to move a lot of work to small businesses. So there was a big focus on small business utilization. The defense industry did in fact shrink. The top line came down, sequestration, number of things happened over the course of those eight years. Uh, we pulled out of pulled out of Iraq in 2011. Um, it wasn't immediate. There was a couple of years, probably two or three years, before the big defense companies and big contractors began to see this. But the, where you didn't want to be in that time frame was SAIC or Booz or or um, you know Khaki or places like that, because the big guys were getting squeezed from the top and the bottom. The top line was coming down, and a lot of the work they normally would have received was going to small businesses. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, that was a tough place to be for us. It was pretty good. The time, the timing was pretty good for us. And mm-hmm. so we, we were, we've been very fortunate in terms of growth. Yeah. Fortunate indeed. The company now has more than 300 employees and is a star among San Diego's defense contractors, but it's at a crossroads. So you made it. Do you feel like you made it? Um, it's a different kind of pressure now. Okay. It's a different stress um, because now so it's like, yeah, we've made it, but now we've got to sustain it. And the other thing is that because we're, we're no longer a small business, um, that changes the calculus quite a bit, particularly in the federal market space. So one of the, one of the, one of the probably unintended consequences of the small business programs is that it disincentivizes growth. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like a welfare program. Right. Right. It, it will sustain you, but you, 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 um, but there's a cap to it. Right. Yeah. We have a program of free, free preschool in San Diego, but you have to make so little money right. that if you get a small hourly wage increase, you're disqualified. That's what right. you're talking about. So it disincentivizes work, right? Yeah. In that case. So for small businesses, um, 
So if you do IT work, the size standard is uh, $27.5 million in revenue a year. Mm -hmm. That's average over three years, but for simple, for the sake of argument, at $28 million in revenue. If you go beyond that for a couple of years, you're no longer considered small, right? So, so you go from the fenced environment of, of small businesses and the competition to competing against IBM mm -hmm. and, and SAIC. It's like, it's this huge gulf. It's affectionately known as the dead zone or the death zone, right? So you gotta, if you're gonna go there, you have to go very aggressively. And, and, and if you look at the government contracting market, the, the companies, there aren't many middle market firms. They get bought up because it's very hard to sustain any sort of size, any sort of consistent success, unless you have a really niche capability of some sort. Do you? So, we're working on it. We've got, we're still, we're still in the transition process. What do you see? So obviously, uh, DC went through a big change this year. Uh, now, um, you know, California is in an interesting position with the, the federal government as far as the, some tensions with that relationship. Is there uh, anything about San Diego's position as this hub of defense and defense industry work that is in danger or that you see some, some concerns about? No, I, quite the opposite, in fact. Um, so, um, it looks like, so, so this is worth what you're paying for it. Okay. Um, uh, but based on what I've seen and heard, San Diego will continue to fare well in the defense spending uh -huh. because we are, there's the Pacific continues to be a very, very important place with yeah. the activities in both China and North Korea. So it's like our geography and existing resources outweigh any weird politics that might be going on right now. At least it feels like it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you look at the, you have to take a long view on this. And if you look at the training infrastructure, if you look at a map of the Southwest U.S. and the training infrastructure between Camp Pendleton, uh, the Navy bases here, San Clemente, the, the ranges, the ocean ranges that the Navy uses and the submarines use, uh, Yuma, um, Fallon, Nevada, um, there's, so, so within a, you know, fairly close area in the Southwest U S there's a number of, of significant geographic resources, Fort Irwin, California, mm -hmm. that you just can't replicate. You can't have the, particularly for aviation training, uh, and large, uh, large scale ground maneuver trainings. David Inman, thank you for coming in. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Voices San Diego Podcasts. This show is part of the Voices San Diego Podcast Network. Visit voiceofsandiego.org slash podcast. There you'll learn more about our award-winning arts and education podcast, Culture Cast, and Good Schools for All, the Cura Chaos podcast about movers and shakers on both sides of the border, Beer Talk Radio, our business show, I Made It in San Diego, our sports show, The Kept Faith, and the rest of the shows in the network. Voice of San Diego is a nonprofit. The majority of our budget comes from grants and donations from readers and listeners like you. If you like the show, please take a minute to go to voiceofsandiego.org and click the donate button. Or if you have a business and would like to sponsor the show, 
contact development at voiceofsanego.org or call 619-550-5664.